This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Hydrocephalus is one of the most common birth defects, with one out of every 500 births resulting in hydrocephalus each year, and another 6,000 children who go on to develop this disease during their first two years of life. We'll hear with more on this potentially debilitating but treatable problem is Dr. Satish Krishnamurthy. He's professor of neurosurgery at Upstate Medical University. And joining him is Tom Clough, whose child has hydrocephalus and who has become a strong advocate for this disease. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, thank you very thank much you. for having us. Dr. Krishnamurthy, let me start with you. Help us understand what exactly is hydrocephalus? So when we, uh, when we are born, uh, we have uh, the brain developed from a tube. Uh, so the tube has a substance and that's got fluid inside it. This becomes the brain. And so normal brain has some fluid inside it and it's got a purpose and a function. Is that the cerebrospinal fluid that yes, we talk about? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, and so in hydrocephalus, for a variety of reasons, the fluid becomes too much and damages the brain surrounding it. Um, so it builds up and creates <clears throat> pressure on the tissues of the brain? That is a classic explanation, but we really don't understand how exactly this process of extra fluid damages the brain. But we do know if you don't treat hydrocephalus, it causes both cognitive and physical handicap. So who is most at risk for this problem? I did mention in the introduction that it's often a birth defect and affects children, but does it affect others as well? Yes. No age is resistant to hydrocephalus. So uh, there, are, there are 180 different disorders that can lead to hydrocephalus. The most common of them is bleeding into the brain or into the ventricles, that the fluid space are called ventricles, bleeding into the ventricles ca can cause hydrocephalus and that is the largest single cause of hydrocephalus and premature children pr children born prematurely I should say are more at risk because they have more intraventricular hemorrhage but adults and even older people can have hydrocephalus because of the same reasons tumors in the brain hemorrhage strokes infections head injuries all of these can cause hydrocephalus. So there's many, many potential causes. How do we know, how does one know, for example, that they're experiencing it? What kind of symptoms show up for hydrocephalus? It depends very much on the age of the uh, person affected. Uh, during infancy, uh, the head becomes larger and larger, and the eyes start deviating downwards. It's called the sunset sign because the eyeballs tend to go down. And this is a classic presentation during infancy. Whereas in, in an older child or an adult, people can get headaches, people can have nausea, vomiting, uh, blurring of vision, um, and other issues. In older age, people can have symptoms very much like dementia. They present with walking difficulty, uh, cognitive issues, and incontinence. So Tom, tell us about your experience. How did you first realize that your child had a problem and what did you see? One morning, it was uh, October 12, 2009, uh, my daughter woke up earlier than normal. Uh, she was really 
crabby, cranky, wouldn't open her eyes. How old was she at the time? At that time, she was four months old. And she was a premature child, born prematurely? Yeah, she was born three and a half months premature. Okay. Uh, she spent four months in the NICU before she came home. And there was no sign of it until she was four months old? They did two spinal taps on her uh, in the NICU. We didn't really get an explanation what was going on. Um, we didn't know what hydrocephalus was. We we're kind of led to believe that after these two spinal taps, that everything was okay. Uh, until that morning, where she was home for just over a month. When I finally got her to open her eyes, as Dr. Kirshenworthy had said, she had that sun setting. I only saw the whites of her eyes. Um, and she was trying to vomit, but she had nothing left in her. Uh, when we brought her to her pediatrician, he instantly saw her and knew that we needed to come to Upstate immediately, uh, and she needed to have surgery. Mm -hmm. So getting to that point, so when you have this kind of circumstance with hydrocephalus, what are the treatment options? Well, we don't have any medications that actually treat this excess fluid. Um, all treatments are based, as you know, uh, on, on a theory or a hypothesis as to why fluid accumulates in the brain. Could it be for various reasons, or is it always, I mean, do, do they understand? Like you said, it's theoretical, but do they understand it? Uh, no, we don't have a good understanding, but the popular theory basically says that the brain is like a plastic bag, and it's a, there is a tap open inside the plastic bag, and so if the fluid doesn't go away, it stays back. So all the solutions are surgical. So there are two different kinds of surgeries that we do. One is to put a tube uh, into the ventricles and put the other end of the tube elsewhere. Most popular place is the belly. Um, so the extra fluid is diverted through this tube into the belly. Uh, this is called a shunt. And the other... And is the, and is the fluid then reabsorbed into the body so it causes no problems or difficulty. Correct. Correct. So that's the whole idea is to get it away from the place where it can be damaging to the brain and put it elsewhere. There is another way to treat the hydrocephalus is, is to make a hole in the bottom of the brain so that the fluid goes away out of the brain. Now this is called endoscopic third ventriculostomy but it doesn't work in everybody especially in, in infants, it doesn't work very well at all. In adults, it works in two-thirds of the people. So primarily, hydrocephalus is a surgical disorder. By that, I mean that you have to do surgery, brain surgery, to relieve the, the problem. Pressure. <clears throat> and does it require repeated surgical procedures, or is it something where it's one and then done, so to speak? It's not usually one and then done. Uh, some patients have very good luck uh, with the shunts. Uh, they get a shunt and it's never replaced all their life. And some other patients, for reasons not very well known, they block their catheters so the catheter needs to be replaced. And sometimes they get infected, then the whole shunt system needs to come out and we have to put a draining catheter for a while and then replace the shunt again. The problem is not just about surgery or repeated surgery. Even diagnosing shunt malfunction is a problem. 
for, for every time we go to the operating room to fix a shunt, people have, would have come at least three times to the emergency room. So the symptoms of shunt malfunction are similar to common cold, flu, or oh, really? any other disorder. So whenever a child has fever, you think shunt infection, when it can be sinus infection. That's very, making it very difficult to diagnose them. Correct. And, and the tests are all about radiation, all give radiation because you're doing x-rays and CAT scans. So Those have to be done with caution. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with neurosurgeon Dr. Satish Krishnamurthy and parent and child advocate Tom Clow, and we're talking about hydrocephalus. Um, so basically, your daughter was treated by Dr. Krishnamurthy, and tell us about that briefly. Like, what was her, um, how did all that unfold? Well, the day that she woke up, and she was having all those problems. Her head was enlarged. She had that sun setting. Her pediatrician told us we needed to come here to Upstate to have uh, a neurosurgeon do surgery on her. We came here. Uh, they did a CT scan. They did x-rays. Uh, they determined that she did have hydrocephalus. She needed to have surgery and have a shunt installed. Uh, she had that done. And when she woke up a few hours later, it was she was a lot better. Her eyes were almost back to normal. Uh, she was acting more like herself. It was uh, it was a pretty great feeling, you know. What? And then, consequently, what happened? In other words, she was four months old at the time. Just take us through the first year of her life. Did she continue to need surgery? Was she able to grow and develop at a normal pace? What happened to her? You know, we assumed that the shunt was going to fix things and things were going to be fine. Uh, it was a month later. We're back at the hospital again. Uh, and her shunt was failing. Like Satish said, it's very hard to um, diagnose this. And the first time we brought her here, we were sent home because there was no, we knew that it was failing. Unfortunately, they could not find evidence in the CT scan. It it was failing. Three days later, we came back and we were in emergency surgery again to have another shunt. That one lasted until June of 2010. Similar thing happened. We brought her to the hospital. By then, I would think you were sophisticated enough to recognize some symptoms, though. Yes, we definitely became advocates for her and were really adamant on what was going on with our child, which you have to be when you have a child that has hydrocephalus. You have to be, um, you know, level-headed, but you have to be uh, an advocate for your child and let the physicians and the staff know what's going on. So you and your wife have become very strong advocates and specifically to develop some funds for further research. Is that right? Tell us about your foundation. What have you done? Uh, About four or five years ago, we started a REACH organization with uh, a bunch of parents and Dr. Kershamurthy. We got together realizing that the shunt is not a very good option for our children. You know, finding out more about it, realizing what was going on, doing a lot of research ourselves, Come to find out that there's a 40% chance of a child that has a shunt is going to be a productive member of society, and that is unacceptable. Because of, let me just interject here, is that, Dr. Krishnamurthy, because there is potential for brain damage despite the shunt's presence? So we don't understand how exactly hydrocephalus damages the brain, and there are a lot of things that are not known very well. Um, 
one of the one of the focus of our work, which uh, Reach Foundation has has uh, support has full support for us. Your current research. My current research is about re-examining the fact that brain is indeed a plastic bag, and there is only um, there's a physical problem, so we need a physical solution. We are looking at it as uh, we are looking at the fact that water accumulates despite brain being completely permeable is a chemical problem so that we can fig figure out a solution that is uh, pharmacological. So rather than looking at it as strictly a surgical intervention, you're starting to look at potentially chemical interventions, drugs, what have you, to see if there's some way to reverse this kind of effect Correct. and therefore prevent the kind of long-term potential for damage that there may be. Yes. So you're basically engaged in ongoing research. Correct. And your foundation is helping to support that right now. Yes, we are. I don't want to run out of time. Very briefly, in the little bit of time we have left, how is your daughter doing and how can people get involved? Those two things. She um, just had her sixth shunt replacement in February. How old is she? She is six years old. Uh, she is still recovering from that. That was uh, February 10th. After each one of these surgeries, it's taking her longer and longer to recover from this. Our, you can go to help support our organization. You can go to reachorg.org, support us online, uh, like us on Facebook. You can find our Facebook page there. We have, we'll have a link to it on yep. our website as well. So you're looking for people to get involved to help support the REACH organization that will basically help fund hydrocephalus Yes, research. we're also a support group too. So if anybody has hydrocephalus that would like to be part of the group, we're here for you to help support you and get you through that. Wonderful. My guests have been Dr. Satish Krista Murthy, Professor of Neurosurgery at Upstate Medical University, and Tom Clough, whose child has hydrocephalus and who has become an advocate for research for this disease. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.